Good morning, church. It's a delight for me to be back here at uh, Faith Evangelical. How many of you remember me when I came here last time? All right, oh, that's good. How many of you have never seen me before? How many of you wish you never see me again? And, uh, I said that in one church, and they said, "Why don't you finish your um, talk, and we'll decide after that?" You know, I said. Great. Um, I, I must uh, say that I had a wonderful day yesterday uh, with uh, the, uh, is it a community hall or wherever we met full of uh, uh, excited missional leaders, uh, listening to cases from uh, the voice of martyrs, uh, which I am so excited that you are collaborating with because this is where the action is. And uh, to have such people among us to motivate and mobilize us for missions is exciting. Uh, Tim and Laura have become dear friends of mine, uh, keeping in touch. And often when I'm in the middle of something and flying between these countries, I get this email from Laura. We're meeting tomorrow evening. What do you want us to pray for you? And I'm like, oh, my word, you know, pray that this plane doesn't crash or something, you know. Uh, anything can happen, you know. And these days, it's, it's, I, I took a... Red-eye flight uh, straight from D.C. where I live. I live 10 minutes behind Dallas Airport, which helps me to get uh, on one flight and go straight to Beijing and into countries like North Korea and so on. But it's so convenient. You know, I actually was here in Maine for about four years in Bangor Baptist, uh, hub there, but working all over Asia. And that's how I first get, got to know uh, Pastor Bill and Barbara. And I was so touched. I told my wife, I said, remember the, 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 the meal we had uh, uh, with the Cripes? And she said, yeah, I fondly remember that Olive Garden experience. And I said, Barbara's got this word over a kitchen window that you and her talked about, relentless. Uh, I mean, they both are relentless anyway. So uh, she was like, oh, my word, she picked that up. Oh, you know, she's like, oh, you know, that really made her day and night, month, I think. And uh, uh, that's really exciting. So I'm pr very happy to be here, these two services, um, and I'm glad the flight came in time, the midnight flight, and uh, I was going to rent a car, and if you see a car outside which has uh, pictures of a family around it with WHCF, uh, I did not steal that car. Actually, Tom Obi from the station said, take this and go, you know, you're a missionary, and uh, advertise for us on the road too, so uh, that's what I, what I was doing. But these flights these days, you never know what can happen. You know, did you hear at the time when this uh, aerostress or stewardess came uh, to the middle of the aisle and she looked at the passengers and she said, uh, I've got some good news for you, uh, but I also got some bad news for you. She said, uh, well, she said, let me give you the good news first. Uh, maybe I'll tell you the bad news, she said. Well, the bad news is our engines have failed and we are going to crash. And they were like, what? She said, well, the good news is we're going to crash land on water. And uh, she smiled. But most people were not excited about it. <laughs> then she said to them, she said, listen, this transatlantic flight, she says, those of you in this transatlantic flight who'd want to go back to New York, to North America, she said, you can swim to my right. <laughs> she says, for those of you who are stuck in London and want to go back to Europe, she said, you can swim to my left. And then she said, for those of you who do not know swimming, thank you for flying United. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> uh, some of these meetings I go to, uh, I just go in and out, 
and I meet people and they're like, thank you for coming, uh, Dr. Yanakin. But I tell you, I, I go from here this uh, tonight uh, with very fond memories in my heart of, of people who have been calling me, texting me. Yesterday we had a very informal, uh, whatever you call it, finger dip uh, fellowship uh, that Barbara put together. That was more than lunch for me. <laughs> I've developed uh, uh, you know, a little bit of a furniture disease. Uh, my chest has fallen into my drawers, you know, and uh, but so, but that was a very pleasant meal that she put together these bites and kept me going, uh, and, and it was nice to me to talk in a very informal way. So more and more, I'm so honored to be your missionary. Uh, my definition for a missionary is an extension of the pastoral staff of a church, and it's a bit radical, but I am convinced that you are not fully engaged in missions till you are implicated in your missionaries' lives. That's what missions does. This uh, business of, uh, you know, throwing money in a plate and, you know, two old ladies signing a check to 19 people for $50 a month, that is, I don't know. I don't see that as engagement in missions. What I'm doing this weekend, it's not about support or money. It's about camaraderie. It's about partnership. It's about networking. And church... 2,000 years ago, the Lord of Angels army said something very simple. There's only one thing he said. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. In the Greek, it's this one verb in the Great Commission, metateus, which means disciple. Go disciple. That was the primary and singular task that Jesus gave to his church, disciple. But he also had a target that I want to talk about. He said, go and disciple all nations. Pantata ethne literally means all people groups. And it doesn't mean America, Canada. But there wasn't even America and Canada when he said that. Now, there was India and Egypt, but there's not America and Canada in the Bible. So what did he mean? He meant that these were these social linguistic communities where they had not yet heard Yahweh, the name of a God who saves and he saves only through Yeshua, Jesus, his son, Jesus Messiah. And did you know that there are over 1,260 people groups with 10,000 in each who have never once heard the name Jesus? And there came a time in my life, some 16 years ago, when I decided, listen, I'm going to put all my energies I was educated beyond my intelligence anyway. So I said, now let me do this. Let me go and share what I have with those in need. And that's where we, I came. Uh, I was in Gordon Conwell doing some lectures, and Jerry Mick said to me, hey, we're having a missions conference. Can you come from Boston to Bangor? I said, where's Bangor? He said, uh, you know, when I first came to Bangor, it was very interesting. I told my friends in Singapore that I'm in Bangor. They said, where's that? I said, in America. Yeah, but which state? I said, Maine. No, no, which state in America? I said, there is a state called Maine. Did you know that a lot of the world don't know there's a state called Maine in America? And they Googled Earth and said, we know you're in Canada, we found you. I'm like, I'm not in Canada. They said, you know, Google Maps, it works, look, look, you're in Canada. But actually, you try that, it actually comes into Canada. It's very scary, so I, I, I couldn't convince them. Anyway, uh, folks, uh, very quickly... Uh, do we have, oh, there are PowerPoints, right? Yeah. <laughs> I go and do these PowerPoints, you know. Is my accent okay? Do you all understand that? 
All right. I may not use the PowerPoints because I may not get through the message, but uh, let, me, let me tell you what we've done. And then uh, if you all don't mind at the stage, we just use the pictures at the end. Is that okay? Uh, instead of using the PowerPoints this morning. Is that all right? Uh, we, we'll do that. All right. We went through a series. You can put the next one up, which has the whole series on it. Uh, those are my, my wife and, and two daughters, uh, Aletia and Karis, full of grace and truth in our home. If you can put the next slide up. Um, the next slide up. <laughs> I think we won't use the PowerPoint this morning. But we've, going, we've been going through a series of, uh, of four uh, lessons in, uh, in, our, in our missions conference. And basically, what I've been doing is I have been giving our mission leaders some tools. Now, I know Pastor Bill doesn't do this every Sunday, uh, but we have been looking at four tools for missions. The job is not yet done. Whether it's across the street or overseas, the Great Commission is not yet accomplished. And my thesis to the group yesterday was very simple. And I know as people in New England, you sense this. With the economy, with the need for job creations, with health care falling, you are working very hard. Some of you are working very long, long hours. But you see, there's a difference between working hard and long and working right and smart. And when I go to churches, I find a similar thing going on in the area of missions. It's not that churches don't like missions or they don't believe in it or don't give sacrificially to it. They do all that and more. But my problem is they don't know what tools there are to get the job done. They're not aware of what these tools are. They don't know how to handle these tools. And even if they do know how to handle it, they're using it in the wrong places. And so what we did was we looked at four tools that the Bible presents in order to get the Great Commission done. For ministries that are local, like our church here, to become global in its outreach. Now, some of them are very uh, basic tools, and you may say, well, I've heard about the tools. But what I did was I, I did a word study of the word tool or equipment. We get the word equipment from the verb to equip. And the Greek is kata rizzo, which means to make fit or perfect or complete, able, thoroughly furnished, all those translations of the word equip. And so these four equipments that we were looking at are tools in order to get the job done. What I want to do this morning is talk about the third tool. The first tool, by the way, was the whole area of intercession. Jesus himself. The God of peace that brought again from the dead that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, Hebrews 13, 31, 21, equip you unto every good work, doing in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, to whom be glory forever. That's the Hebraic benediction. Did you know that even Jesus Christ, as a resurrected Lord, is working today? He's equipping us from above. And he's given us certain equipments. We looked at prayer. And the first study was on Paul. And Paul's understanding of prayer in the church at Corinth, which was messed up with all kinds of divisions and problems, he says, I am interceding for you. 
We looked at characters like Samuel in the Old Testament or Peter who was given the keys of the kingdom and how Jesus said, listen, Peter, Satan is desiring to sift you like wheat. I have prayed for you. And how prayer works. And we encourage these others to pray when we feel like it, pray when we don't feel like it, and pray until we feel like it. The importance of prayer and missions. Supplication. And then in the evening we did a second session of the role of the Word of God. God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. We know it's given by inspiration. It's reliable. It's God-breathed. But we understood that it's more than just inspired. It's profitable that the man, the women of God doing ministry will be thoroughly equipped unto every good work. Exactly the same word, but this time not for Jesus, but the people who are serving Jesus. God gave us the word. God's word is God's tool to do God's work. And I did something radical yesterday. I showed them that sometimes in our evangelical churches, we have become bibliologists. We worship the Bible rather than the God of the Bible. And the reason why God gave us the Bible is so that we can get the word out to those who haven't heard. I gave them Paul's rational in Romans chapter 10 and said, listen, how can they call upon the name of the one whom they've never heard? Because Paul premises that by saying, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he says, how can they call upon the name of the Lord whom they've never heard of? What name? And I showed them of places where I work where they've never heard the name Jesus once. You say, well, downtown, you know, Waterville, is this Waterville? Yeah. Well, downtown Waterville, we have people who never heard the name of Jesus, apart from a swear word, you know. They don't know the meta-narrative, the big story of these two naked people in a garden with an apple and a talking snake. I mean, the, the postmodern world is like, what? That's why I'm in this mess? They can't, no, I'm serious. People don't figure it out because... We in America have not told the stories to the next generation. They laugh at this stuff. They've never been to Sunday school. And even if they have, it is so irrelevant to where they are and what they do. So we've got to tell the story. But there are people who have never heard the name once. They can't even accept Christ because they haven't had one chance to reject him. What a need for us to pray for missions. What a need for us to take the gospel. How will they hear unless somebody goes? And I want to do something in this church this morning. I want to encourage you to go beyond the praying, to go beyond the giving. And I want to challenge you. I was praying this morning. God said, Chris, go and tell this church whatever happened to sending their people. When is it that we are going to send people? In America, you have outsourced everything offshore. Don't you dare outsource the Great Commission. It belongs to you. And I speak as an Asian who doesn't, I'm not an American citizen. This nation was the number one sending nation in the world. South Korea has outbeat us many times. Are we just going to just be super, are you going to send your young people? And I dare you this morning. To go beyond just writing out a check or I'll pray for so and so. Look at these stories. Why don't you become part of producing it? Is there another generation? Where are your children this morning? Where are your grandchildren this morning? Pastor Bill saying, I'm not going to invite this guy again. Well, it doesn't matter. I'm not looking for an opportunity. No, really. I just feel that we have so much resources. 
that we need to equip our young people. Listen, talk to the Corbett's. Okay, I am willing to personally mentor people who have a commitment to these restricted access countries. I challenge you this next year, find a couple in your church, young people. I'm not interested in old people like Bill and, you know, young people. <laughs> young people who have half his energy, by the way. Get those guys. You know, I'm serious. Send them and say, listen, you want to go to Morocco? You want to go to whatever, the countries like North Korea, Bhutan, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos? You send them. I'll train them. They, all they need to, they don't have to resign their jobs. They need to go twice a year for a week. That's not hard. But you have to stay in touch with these people. Because the nationals are doing it. To train them, to motivate, to mobilize them is most important. Now, let me quickly mention what I want to share this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 and 12. We looked at two gifts. I want to leave you the third gift, the third tool for us this morning. This is a familiar passage, Ephesians in chapter 4 and verse 11 and 12. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 and 12. Now you know this passage is about the ascended Christ and what he did. He says in verse 11, And Jesus Christ, this is Lord of the church, gave the church apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds or pastors and teachers. Why? Look at verse 12. Why did he do all this? To, for the equipping. Equipping of the church. So that these saints will do the work of the ministry. To build up the body of Christ. And I love this verse 13. Until, we're not there yet. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity in Christ. Now these three verses are, are, are full of exciting challenges for us in missions. But I want to show you this third tool. We've looked at supplication, the need to engage in prayer. And church, would you do that for our missionaries? Would you do that? Prayer is not something preliminary or tucked as an add-on. Prayer is the work. When we work, we work. When we pray, God works. And he usually does a better job. So pray. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. I know you're going through the book of Philippi. You remember when pastor preached through that series? How does he start? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints which are in Philippi with the bishop and Jesus. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father. Always in every prayer of mine for you, making mention, remembering you with joy from the very first day until now. Because it's meet for me to do that. It's befitting. I have you in my heart. You know, I didn't mention this yesterday. When you pray for somebody, it tells me you care for that somebody. Did you notice in that text, Paul had the church at Philippi. Not only in his mind, always in every remembrance of you. He also had them in his, in every prayer of mine for you. He had them in his mind. He had them in his prayers. You know why? Because I have you in my heart. When you pray for somebody, it's not just saying a prayer, it's bearing your heart for that person. 
That's prayer. Prayer is not just mouth to ear so that, okay, let's pray for so-and-so in church this morning so that everybody knows they need to be prayed for. Prayer is bearing your heart for someone before God. That's missional prayer. But if we pray, it doesn't help us if we stay. The prayers are not stairs. I showed them yesterday. Jesus said the harvest is plenteous, the laborers are few. What was his solution? Learn computer science? Get a degree at Kobe's in engineering? And start church planting movements? No, he said pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will scuff out laborers into his harvest. What a solution. Because Jesus knew that those who pray won't stay. They will go. Whether it's across the street or overseas, prayers are not stairs. Prayer has a way of motivating and mobilizing people in missions. But there are some things you do need to know about going. And I want to leave with you a theology of the church which involves missions. Bear with me. Uh, Some parts may sound funny. Uh, Forgive me, I'm a little bit of a professor. And uh, that's partly my problem. I'll try to simplify it. Who started this business of church anyway? Have you thought of that? Who started this church of business? Do you know where the first time we read the word church? Well, Jesus mentioned it almost halfway through the Gospels. Matthew 16 and verse 18. He was talking to the disciples. He kind of paused and he came to this kind of a skyline. You could imagine New York or D.C. or Toronto or Paris or some kind of a skyline because he did that. He comes to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, if you don't know about Caesarea Philippi, at least think of the two words that, that combines and makes it Caesarea, Caesar, Rome, Pax Romana, Philippi, Philip, lover of, of, of horses, father of Alexander the Great. So this is the Greco-Roman Empire, okay? He comes to the city that is the backdrop of the Greco-Roman power, the power, political, social, economic power. And he looks at these crongy fishermen, this motley crew he picked up, and he looks at them and he says, what's the latest on me? I mean, what do people think? Who do you think I am? You remember that? He says, what's public opinion about me? And they say, you know, some think you're Moses, Elijah, one of those prophets. He says, okay, forget about them. Hey, who do you say that I am? I love Jesus because he brings faith at a very personal level. He makes faith Pointed and personal. And you see, missions is not just, oh, our church is involved in missions. Yeah, we're reaching the... What are you doing about it? Jesus asked you this morning. Who am I? Where I come? Who are you? What are you doing? And of course, Peter, big mouth. Yeah, Peter had foot and mouth disease. You know, every time he opened the mouth, he put the foot in it. And Peter said, thou art the Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus says, you know, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My Father in heaven has. And upon this Petra, upon this bedrock truth, I will build my And I can almost see the twinkle in Jesus' eyes said, and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. In case you didn't understand that, he, it's not like Jesus and Satan are arm wrestling and he's like, man, I'm going to win one of these days. That's, that's not the picture. The picture he has is the church is going to advance and the most powerful authorities in hell itself cannot stand against it. It's cut out. I want to bring news for you. From South America, from Asia, from Africa, the church is advancing in unprecedented ways. 
Did you know this? In Africa, almost every day, we have hundreds of churches being planted. In Asia, unbelievable. I'm coming back from China and North Korea. It's amazing. The back to Jerusalem movement. Chinese Christians selling everything. And going through all those Buddhism, Shintist countries, Middle Eastern with all the Muslims, going through the Hindu countries like India, back to Jerusalem to win the Jews for Jesus. Unbelievable momentum in missions. The church is dead in Europe and dying in America, I'm telling you, compared to these countries. And the reason why I'm saying this is we need to wake up. I love that. There's awakening. God needs to waken us. We are Cinderella in amnesia in this place. We need to get up. There is a revival. Our church needs to be part. Not just giving, praying. Let's get going. And it has to start. In order to do that, there is a third tool. You see, the person who actually put together this toolbox is a foreign exchange student. You say, what do you mean, Kobe College? No, no, no. I'm talking about the Bible. I'm talking about Acts chapter 8 and 9. There was a foreign exchange student. Did you know that? A guy from Tarshish in Sicilia who came to the University of Jerusalem to study under this famous head of the department called Gamaliel. This is all the... Some of you are staring at me. This, this is in the Bible. Saul of Tarsus came from... Sicilia all the way to Jerusalem to Jerusalem to study under Gamaliel, this rabbi. And he was so zealous that he saw this sect claiming to somehow destroy monotheism, this belief in one known God, Yahweh, and followed this guy who was a carpenter turned roving preacher from Nazareth. He was mad. So he gets all the authority he needs, the papers signed, to go and prosecute them. He's riding his high horse, and it's midday, and he's going into Damascus, Acts chapter 9. Have you ever ridden your high horse at midday? Don't do that. God has a way he'll get your attention. Zap! You know, blinded. He falls off his horse. He's growling in the dust. He's blinded. And he suddenly can't even see the light. He knew one thing. He's a smart guy. Saul realized he was dealing with deity. He says, who art thou? What? Lord. And the voice said to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now you could imagine how many fuse he blew in his mind. When this voice said, I am Jesus, they had crucified him, killed him, buried him. And this voice says, I am Jesus. Church, a very simple question. Who was Saul of Tarsus persecuting? Answer? The follow the Christians. And the voice said, you are persecuting who? Me. Ecclesiology 101, Saul of Tarsus, later the Apostle Paul, recognized Christ and his church are one. You mess with one, you mess with the other. And I tell you what, the, the church has problems. The church is like Noah's Ark. You can't stand the stink on the inside. 
You rather be in than out. Don't you dare say anything about the church. It's the only thing that Jesus died for, and it's the only thing Jesus said, I will build. He's not going to build Bible colleges. He's not going to build mission organizations. He's not, no, he's going to build one thing, his church. So you better be very careful when you talk against the church. We have problems, but that's the only thing Jesus shed his blood for. Imagine what it did to Saul of Tarsus. Man, he went back. He said, I've got to think this. He, he was so affected, he became so zealous and useless for the church. I mean, imagine if, if, if Pastor Bill says, you know, we've got Saddam Hussein come to join our church membership. How many of you will accept that member? I, I mean, that was, don't laugh, that was exactly what happened when Ananias said, well, Brother Saul is joining the church. And we're like, who? The guy who dragged our wives and kind of beat up our kids. He was like a dragon breathing fire, you know. He's coming undercover. No way. Not our church. But Paul was the one who coined the phrase Corpus Christi, the body of Christ. In the New Testament, the institutionalized or the organizational form of church was established by Paul, the apostle. The early Petrine community, the Peter's community, they did not have bishop and deacons and all that stuff. It was Paul as the church, as an organism needed organization, brought all these leadership structures in it. It's sad that we've gone all the other way, extra. we're all stuck with structures, that there's no spontaneity now. I know that is a problem. But I want to show you the magnitude of a foreign exchange student who literally turned the world upside down. Well, right side up, it's already upside down. It's the guy who made a difference. Now this Paul of Tarsus says something. This ascended Christ whom I saw, this Lord of the harvest, gave his church, his body, gifts. These gifts are not material things. These are people. These are people like you and me. These are people who have a particular role a particular functionality. They do something for one purpose, to build the body. To bless it in such a way that it becomes more and more like Jesus. Don't sophisticate ecclesiology. This whole study of the church is very simple, actually. We've created so many problems. The church is simply to be the community of Christ, to bless one another and build by bringing others in. And Saul said, you know, Paul, Paul said, you know, this ascended Christ gave gifts. Paul is the one who very clearly articulates what we could call a charismatic theology. Now, when I say charismatic, I don't mean this loosey-goosey, you know. Some people come to me and say, oh, Dr. Yannikin, Jesus told me to, you know, and all this stuff. And I was like, what? When did he do that? He said, well, yesterday I was shaving, and Jesus came, put his hand on me, and said, uh, Chris Yannikin, or whatever, go and tell. I said, man, Jesus did that? Yeah. I said, I just have one question. When Jesus came, put his hand on you, you kept shaving, or did you stop? I mean, well, what happened? Because if you kept shaving, it's not Jesus, it's the Bible. Because everybody who saw Jesus fell as if they were one dead. Nobody sees Christ. And by the way, they don't fall backward like you see on television. That's not biblical. They always fell prostrate. 
covering up their nakedness in fear and trembling, dead in his Shikana presence. So don't get into all this emotionalism stuff. You say, oh, I had a vision. First thing, did you eat pizza last night? I mean, we'll, you've you got to ask these things, you know. You, you don't just lump everything. But, you know, uh, having said that, what I'm saying to you is, we have swung the other extreme. We do not expect God to speak to us. I'm going to say something now that may really shake you up. In many of our Middle Eastern countries, people are seeing visions of Jesus and coming to know Christ. I mean, some of my colleagues, and these are all PhDs from Oxford and Cambridge who studied with me, are reporting. They're reporting of, uh, of these lights that people in these countries who don't have access to the Bible have this experience, this, this kind of an epiphany. And they go and seek. And of course, like the Magi, what did the Magi see? The star. Did the star save them? No. They came saying, where is he that's born king of the Jews? What did Herod do? Called the scribes. They brought Micah 5.2 and said, it is written, O thou Bethlehem, after, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, he would be ruler. You remember that? They read the Bible. So, star, Bible. After they read this, where did they go? To Bethlehem. Who did they find? The Christ child. Who is the one who saves us? Christ. Visions don't save you. Sorry, the Bible doesn't save you. The, the Bible produces faith, but only Jesus saves you. Do you get that? I mean, is this complicated, Pastor Bill? Why is it that in charismatic circles, we don't understand this? A vision doesn't save you. A healing miracle doesn't save you. These are signs. They point to who? The only one who can save us. That's charismatic theology from the Bible. I believe in charismatic theology. I'm a Bapticostal, by the way. <laughs> and we need this. We, 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 we go from, from you know, the, and I told, the, I told the group yesterday, we, we are two extremes. We want Bible, 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 and we are hardly open to the Spirit. Some are open to the Spirit so much that they don't want to go to the Bible. The Word without the Spirit, you dry up. The spirit without the word, you blow up. You need the word and spirit to grow up in Christ, in maturity. So here's what I want to say this morning. I have so much more in these notes. And by the way, uh, Laura has a copy of these notes. I'm hardly touching it. My time's almost half over, or almost all over. But I want to say this. I want to say this right now. Among those five gifts, I would really, really encourage you as a church to focus on the apes. You say, what? Is this into like missing link theology? No, no, no. Let me come to this. You see, he gave five gifts for the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers. And I say this. I'm a professor now at Liberty University. And I tell them this. Most Bible colleges are focusing on pastor teachers, training people. What we are not doing is focusing on the apostolic. Those who are sent to serve in missions. God is still sending people, calling them to work cross-culturally. You don't have to learn languages 
You don't have to actually go to some Bible college. You can actually work with people like me. I'm Asian. I speak Hindi, Tamil, Kannada, Malayalam, uh, Arabic. So talk, to, and I speak English, by the way. Not very good, but I speak English. So don't you think someone like Tim can work with Chris Nyanakin? Yes or no? Of course you can. Tim doesn't have to learn Hindi. Do you know Hindi, Tim? No, you don't look like that type. Okay. So he, he doesn't... Do you want to learn Hindi, Tim? No, he's, he's not his head up. So why do you make this guy suffer learning Hindi when he can come and learn and work with Krishna again? He can compliment me. In OTAN, we have Asians reaching Asians. But we need Americans who will work in partnership with us to supplement, to compliment, to get the job done. And one of the tools that Jesus gives us are spiritual gifts. These are endowments. But more than that, these are grace gifts that are empowerments. For what? For missions. Why would God give you a gift to sit on the couch and watch the NFL finals? Do you need a spiritual gift for that? Why would he give you that? He would give it to you to grow the church. And there are people who have never heard. So I want to challenge you. Would you consider doing that as a church? Would you motivate and mobilize people for missions? Watch these four slides and take it with you as you go. And I want to pray for us as a church. Thank you so much for having me. Here are these slides that are coming up. It's my recent trip. I was in eight countries uh, this summer, uh, going from Malaysia, insider movements and so on, to China, uh, Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. And what I'm showing you here is an actual prison cell in northern part of Vietnam. Right now, as I'm speaking, of the 38 pastors or church planters we trained, four of them are in prison, identical to the one you're looking at. They are chained by the cuff, and they lie there. We went and saw the four families, spent time with them and prayed, and I showed them some pictures. Next slide. When I go and meet to these families and talk to them, these are the leaders of the church in Vietnam who are going to the northern part of Vietnam, not Ho Chi Minh and all that, because that's very cosmopolitan now. Talking about how they are getting the gospel out, how to give them the tools. We train them in basic homiletics, how to study the Bible, homiletics, how to communicate Christ, mission strategy for church planting. They don't need Hebrew and Greek and all that. They need to know how to communicate their faith. Powerful. And that's the family. We sit and talk. And they, the Next slide. We also have work all over. And I, I, I'm showing you one of the guys I mentored in Pennsylvania when I went to teach at Lancaster who is in this church, he was part of the pastoral staff, is Kyle. Kyle Kina, his wife Dana, have two children, a uh, little less than our other pastors in some churches I know. <laughs> but he has two children. Doesn't this look like Pastor Jeff's family? No, no, <laughs> just kidding. So, uh, studying the culture, travel with me, understand Buddhism. What is Zen Buddhism? How to understand the Sadambaras from the Digambaras? The fully clad people and all that. These are the girls that are part of our home and with parents in them. You can see the, the lady in the white in the extreme end is the, is the parent. She and her husband are there. We have, these are from the two, three homes. 
All these girls were part of trafficking. And now they are rescued and they are in homes. They are married to Christian men. They will be married to Christian men and they become part of our mission process, church planting movement. Next slide. It's another one. Yeah. And most of all, what thrills my heart? This is what I do, Pastor Bill. This is what I do. This is what I'll come to your church maybe once in two years or once a year maybe uh, if Barbara gets those finger foods for me. But, uh, you know, but I tell you, this is where my heart is. I'm Asian. I mean, can you see? I mean, I'm a little bit Asian, all right? My heart is to go to my people and certify them, to empower them, give them the Bible knowledge, give them the church planting tools, teach them how to communicate Christ, to dig the Bible, study it for itself. It's amazing. They have very little resources, not only to detect what their gifts are. Are they apostolic? Send them. Are they prophetic? to work in community, transform them through the Word of God, of course, are the evangelistic. They have ways to communicate their faith. We don't have those methods. We, do, we never heard of those methods. Our methods don't work. I'm telling you, the American methods don't work. They don't even work in America. I mean, I was telling them yesterday, Samna Wem taught me how to throw tracks in moving cars to witness. I mean, would that work today? I mean, you, you've got to have a different method. Now... How would that work in Laos or Vietnam? It's not going to work. So you have to let the people discover what's best for them to work. As long as Christ is formed, the church is built. Look at their faces. Once they are certified. Dr. Nyanakin came and certified. Church, I have to say this. I couldn't do this unless you pray for me, support and help and encourage. Thank you. But I'm going to ask you, would you consider sending a couple with me? Choose one of these ten nations. I mean, pick whichever you want. Vietnam, Cambodia, Russia, China, North Korea, Bhutan, Tibet, Myanmar, Nepal. I mean, these are all Asian, and of course the entire Middle East. Would you consider and say, Look, we're going to send, we're going to invest someone in our church to do it. God has commanded us in Christ to go. The Great Commission is not this grave omission. Should we do it or not? It's a commandment. It's the great commission, not a good suggestion. Take it. Would you do that? Would you pray that God will thrust forth laborers into this harvest? Shall we pray? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And if God is speaking to you this morning, and you say, okay, Chris, uh, thank you, my eyes are open. Uh, I have some natural talents, but I'm sure there are some spiritual gifts too. I am willing to consider becoming part of an outreach that engages with people of another culture. I'll try. I, 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 I don't need to learn the language, you say. No, you don't need to. You don't need to take three years off to go to Bible class. No. I want to be part of Faith Evangelical Church to be the eyes and the ears of our church in an unreached people group, in a needy mission field. If that's your desire, I want to pray for you. Would you stand where you are? I'll consider it. I don't know how I'm going to go. I don't know when I'm going to go. But I'm willing to consider working across. God bless you. Anyone else? Stand quietly to your feet and I want to pray for you. God's speaking to you. You don't know when. You don't know how. But you do know why. Because there's a need. And you say, if God equips and opens the door, I am willing to step out. Father God, thank you for these standing this morning. I pray for the Corbett's. I pray particularly for Pastor Bill, Barbara, and the leadership in this church. 
Lord, this church will only experience an awakening when people are willing to go outside comfort zones, to do what others don't, won't, and even can't. Thank you, Lord, that Paul was willing to do that. We have a church today. Thank you, Jesus, that you are building your church.